Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. If you don't have a Bible, there should be uh, a black hard bound one somewhere near you. Uh, and Luke 15, I believe, can be found on pages 874 and 875. So uh, for those of you that haven't met me, my name is Chad, and I have the privilege of serving as one of the pastors here. Um, and it is. It is a, it's a joyous day for us to be able to... Um, say along with our culture, happy Mother's Day to our mothers. Um, it is a, it's a biblical thing to show honor, and we want to do that when we show honor. Um, that's just recognizing the significance of something. I've um, been thinking about this this week, but I mean, uh, motherhood, there's so much involved in the task itself. Um, it's I've heard it described as multitasking all the time to only see what you do uh, undone five minutes later. And so for that, we truly appreciate all that you have done for us. Um, so we want to thank God for mothers. We want to honor you. We are grateful for who you are and what you've done. Um, but I also know that, you know, as we begin to look at God's word, um, that, that Mother's Day for everyone is not always a joyful day. And so um, I believe that there's real grace to meet us in the midst of pain, whether it's uh, if you're here this morning and you have lost your mom, or if you're here and you're dealing with tormenting regrets um, about your parenting, or if you're here and you're longing to be able to conceive, I believe that God in his infinite mercy wants to extend specific grace to you. So I believe that God is especially present with us this morning as we open up his word to minister to us and to comfort us and to encourage us. So we want to celebrate and honor, but we also want to see hope extended. Um, it would be very natural, I think, for us uh, on a day like today to look at the task of parenting, and we're going to do that in a very roundabout way. We're not going to look at the way that we parent our children, but we're going to look at Luke 15, and we're going to look at the, the parable that describes the perfect parent. We're going to describe the love of the Father that God has for us, and we're going to look at the way that God parents us. Um, but I do believe that God wants to say a couple things to parents. Um, from the outset, I think he would say, I can identify with you as parents. I believe he would say, I know what it's like to have wayward children. I know what it's like to watch my children kind of go off the rails and long for them to come back home. I know what it's like to have children that are blinded to their need for me by the, the religion of the age. I believe that God would very much be present to say that I can identify with you. And as, as we were up here and we were dedicating all these children, um, the only hope that we have as parents is that God loves our children more than we do. That's it. Like, if it's about us and it's about getting it right, then uh, we could throw in the towel. But what we're going to discover this morning is that God is infinitely merciful and He's a God that, that not just endures with us, but He pursues us even in the midst of our sin and our rebellion. So God is present um, to meet with us here this morning. I believe the other thing you'd want to say to parents this morning is parenting is not about a lot of things. 
It touches on everything, but it's not about a lot of things. It's about one thing. It's about connecting the hearts of your children to the love of the Father. Whether that's through your triumphs and the things that you treasure, or through your failures and the way that you repent. Um, Parenting is about connecting the hearts of your children to the love of the Father. And to be able to connect your children's hearts, the love of the Father, it has to be something that you personally experience, something that you live in the good of. For those of us that long to see people come to know Jesus Christ, I mean, we have to experience His love personally before we can commend it to other people. And that's what's going to come into view as we look at Luke 15 this morning. So if you're able, you have your Bibles open, would you join with me as we read Luke 15? I'm going to read verses 11 through 32. Luke 15, verse 11. There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you kill the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. 
It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Would you pray with me? Father, so much right now we want to understand who you are. I pray that you would not only allow us to open up the pages of Scripture, but you would open up our hearts and that you would minister to us right where we are. I pray that you would speak directly into our need. I pray that you would meet us with the gift of your Son. And I pray that everyone in this room would walk away convinced of your love for them. Father, to do that, we need you to send the Holy Spirit to help us to pay attention, to help us to understand, to give us ears to hear this parable. Father, to do that, I need your help. Father, I declare how weak I am and dependent I am on you, but I thank you that that qualifies me to receive your power. So I pray that you would send the Spirit to help me to serve these people that I love. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we open up, this is a a famous parable of Jesus. As we look at this parable, what we're going to zero in on this morning is the perfect love of the Father. Um, If you look at verses 1 and 2 with me, you'll see the audience that Jesus is speaking this parable into. In verses 1 and 2 it says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So there is a controversy that's going on as Jesus is unpacking this parable. But what he wants everyone to hear, whether they are a tax collector and a sinner, or a Pharisee that is grumbling and complaining and that is blind to the love of God, he's telling this parable because he wants everyone that hears this parable to be convinced of the perfect love of the Father. It says in the book of John that one of the reasons that Jesus came into the world was to reveal the Father. And this picture and this parable is one of the clearest pictures that we have in all of the Scripture of the love of the Father. And so Jesus' intention in telling this parable was to convince those people. And His intention this morning is that you would be convinced of the love of the Father. God wants us to experience His love. Now, for us, as we think about the love of God, I mean, that can be a daunting task, right? I mean, that can be overwhelming for us to just to try to get our minds around it. It can be abstract. Um, Most of us, if we're honest, we've bought into maybe a version of Christianity where God is somehow merely tolerating us. Well, Well, Jesus tells this parable to help us to come alive to the height and the depth and the width and the breadth of God's love for us in and through Jesus. He wants us to have a firsthand experiential knowledge of His love and to be changed by His love. Now, if you're here and you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, there's there's probably this desire where you want to love God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your mind and all of your strength. Right? And you want to be able to love your neighbor as yourself. But the problem with that is, like merely just talking about wanting to love God cannot produce love in your heart for God. 
The only thing that can produce love in your heart for God is to allow yourself to see the ways that he has loved you up to and including sending his own son for you. I mean, I'll I'll describe it like this in my own house. I mean, I can go up to my wife and I could say, babe, here's nine ways that you should be aware of my love for you. These are all the things that I've done this week for you. I have unloaded the dishwasher for you. I have tucked all five of our kids in every night and I've prayed with them and I've kissed them on the head. And I could go on and I said, we went on a date night. I could do all of those things and I could trumpet all the ways that I have loved my wife. Would that produce love in her heart for me? Maybe. But if I pulled her close and I said, babe, I love you. I love the way that you love me. I love the way that you lay down your life for my family. And I want to do everything in my power to show just how much I love you. Which of those two things produces love, right? It's the experiential knowledge that that someone loves us. And that's why God tells us this parable in and through Jesus so that we would have firsthand knowledge of his love. And the thing that we see in this parable, it's the parable of the prodigal son, is that God's love pursues wandering hearts and wandering people, right? God's love is a love that goes after. God's love is active. It is pursuing. The good news of the gospel is this morning that no matter where you have been, no matter how far you have fallen, God's love is looking for you this morning. His love is pursuing us in and through Jesus Christ. He is not passive when it comes to the hearts of his people. God loves wandering people. You know why? Because wandering people are all there are, right? He's going to come looking for us. And it's not just the the, the prodigals that, that kind of just waste their whole life in reckless living that he's after. He's after the inconsistencies of our hearts. He's always pursuing us in love. We sang about it this morning. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. The good news for wanderers is that God is looking for wanderers. We see that very clearly in the parable of the prodigal son, where there is a father that's waiting for his son to come home. It says that when he was a far way off, when he was on making his way back home, that the father was already looking for him, that the father was waiting for him. That means he's looking for wandering people. Not only is that the, the message of um, this parable, but it's the whole theme of Luke 15. There's two other parables that we're not going to look at in detail, but the first parable that Jesus tells in Luke 15 is about a shepherd, a shepherd that has a hundred sheep. And when he's going through his daily role at the end of the day, he's counting them one all the way to 99 and one of them is missing. So what does he do? He gets somebody to watch the other 99 and he goes to look for the one that is lost. I don't know. How many shepherds do we have in the audience? Any shepherds today? I mean, we may not think it's a big deal. I mean, 99 out of 100, that's a pretty good percentage. That don't get you through college at least, right? 99 out of 100. But he goes after the one that's lost. In this culture... 
Shepherds knew their sheep personally and intimately. They called them by name, right? They knew the sound of each sheep individually, and the sheep knew the voice of the shepherd. So it was a no-brainer at the end of the day when 99 were accounted for that the shepherd was going to go after the one that was lost. The second parable in um, Luke 15 is the parable uh, of a woman that's looking for a coin. She has 10 coins. Nine of them is accounted for. And she does her best impersonation of a college student going on a Taco Bell run, right? She turns over her entire house looking for this lost coin. And when she finds it, she goes to the whole neighborhood and she begins to celebrate. She begins to have joy. God loves to look for wandering things. God loves to look for that which is lost. It's the theme of the entire book of Luke. Luke 19.10. This is the purpose of the whole book of Luke. It says that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. The reason that Jesus is in the world is he's on a rescue mission. He is looking for the hearts of his people. And that's the point of Luke 15, what we see. We see a a lost sheep and a lost coin and two lost sons. And what God is saying above all things through these passages is, I love to look for lost things. If a shepherd is going to go to that much length to look for one sheep or a lady's going to look for a coin, how much more will God go look for that which is his? And he will spare no expense up to and including his own son to pursue the hearts of his people because he wants to have relationship with people. He tells this parable because people matter to God. And more importantly for everyone in this room, you matter to God, right? This this thing that we're talking about, the love of God, it takes shape, it has contours, and it's very specific and very personal. It's supposed to hit us right where we live. God loves us right where we are. I think the thing that he would want you to walk away with as you look at this passage this morning, you are wanted by God. He doesn't just want a little part of your heart or a little part of your life. He wants full relationship with you. You're not merely tolerated here this morning. You are loved You are pursued by God himself, the God that loves to find lost things. And the truth is that we see from the prodigal son, he doesn't do it when we have everything in order, right? He doesn't do it when we clean up our act. It's at that point when you feel the furthest away that he's looking for you. It's that point where you feel separated from Him. It's that point that He's pursuing you in love. God loves to look for wandering hearts. And not only that, is is that His passion, but it says throughout these parables that there is more joy in one sinner that repents than 99 that need no repentance. So not only is this the passion of God to find lost people and wandering hearts this morning, but all of heaven rejoices in the fact that people turn and see who Jesus is. The good news is that our sin and our brokenness do not deter God from coming to look for us. They're actually the reason that he came, right? 
right? And that's good news for wanderers like you and me this morning. That nothing that you've done this week can separate you from the love of God in and through Jesus Christ. That's the reason that we came together this morning. Because deep down on some level, everyone in this room wants to know that there's a love that exists like that. That there's a love that can come to me even at my messiest, even at my brokenness, and he can embrace me and love me and call me a son or a daughter. That's the good news of this passage. It is the passion of all of heaven that our hearts are connected to God. And and when we talk about repentance, sometimes in church world, we can make repentance like that's the doorway to grace, right? But in this passage, what it really reveals is that the father was determined to forgive the son before he ever set out from, from home because he was looking for the son. Before he could even get his words of repentance out, the father was lavishing love upon him. Listen to this quote from Robert Capon. He says, Only when, like the prodigal, we are finally confronted with the unqualified gift of someone who died in advance to forgive us no matter what, can we see that our confession has nothing to do with ourselves getting forgiven. Confession is not a transaction. It's not a negotiation in order to secure forgiveness. It is the after the last gasp of a corpse that can finally afford to admit admit that it's dead and accept resurrection. Forgiveness surrounds us, it beats upon us all of our lives, and we confess only to wake ourselves up to what we already have. So God's grace is not contingent on you this morning. He is determined. Now, we do respond to Him, but we respond to come alive to what we've already received in and through Jesus Christ. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. See, he came to set the captives free. There's two groups of people here in this passage, and I I believe that they would encapsulate everyone in this audience this morning that are captive to a couple of thoughts. The tax collectors and the sinners, they believe deep down that they were shut off from the love of God because of their badness. They believe that their badness... Not only was something that they did, but it was something of who they were. And it kept them from experiencing the love of God. So when Jesus came into the world and he began to proclaim the good news of the love of the Father, people were surrounding him and they were drawing near to him. So he came to set those kinds of people free. But he also came for the, the... Pharisees that were gathering around, the people that wouldn't go in, the people that wouldn't come into the party. He came for those people that were blinded by their own goodness, right? They thought that they could earn the love of God. They thought that that life was defined by the way that they carried out their life in relation to God more than the way that God came looking for them. And he wants to set both of those people free. He wants to set all of us free to experience his love. So let's look at his love a little more closely. Look at verse 17. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, 
Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found is found and they began to celebrate. So not only is this love of the Father one that goes after the hearts of wayward people, it's a love that restores relationship, right? He says, hey, I want you to go and get the best robe and I want you to put it on my son. I want you to take the ring and put it on his finger. And that was, uh, that was a symbol of his position being restored in the household. I want you to put shoes on his feet. And basically what that is saying in that moment is that everything that belongs to the father now belongs to the son once again. Right? And I think that that's good news for wanderers here. Because I think most of us think that there probably is some kind of forgiveness that's available in and through God and in and through Jesus Christ. But what this passage would say is it's never too late. Right? It's never too late to come home. It's never too late to come and embrace the mercy of the Father that, that I think most of us would believe that, you know, maybe there's forgiveness available. God's never going to be able to use me. That's why you need this picture of restoration, right? He's not defined by his failures. He's not defined by his brokenness. And he's not defined by sin. He's defined by the restoring love of the Father. So just think about that for a moment. If you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ this morning, you have the same rights the same privilege, the same access to God the Father as Jesus does. That is scandalous grace for us this morning, right? That, that nothing, not our sin, not our brokenness, not our failures, not our past, nothing that we're going to do in the future can keep us from experiencing the full rights of being sons and daughters of God. We all have, because of the love of the Father, a restored relationship with God. And then we're going to move into what I think is the the most powerful part of the story. Most of us want to believe that that kind of love is true. Right? Most of us want to believe that that's possible. Most of us dare to hope in our worst moments that that could be true. What we see in the rest of this passage is the father is lavishing love on the son. Is not only a restored relationship, but it's a love that covers his shame. Right? So many of us want to experience the love of God, but we can't because we are a prisoner to our own shame. 
Toxic shame is one of the greatest weapons of the enemy. It is the enemy that whispers in our ears that we are unlovable. Yes, God loves all of these other people out here, but this morning I know deep down something that no one else knows, and that is that I'm unlovable. And we believe that, and we deal with that day in and day out. And what we're going to see in this passage is something beautiful, that the love of God never, ever puts his people to shame. We're going to see the love of God the Father that covers the shame of his children. Brene Brown gave a TED Talk in 2010 on shame. Uh, If you have not seen it, I would highly recommend it. Uh, I can post it on a blog this week for for those of you that are interested. And in this talk, this is a woman that's given years of her life to studying the effects of shame. She crystallized it into about 20 minutes, some really powerful insights. One of the things that she said was that shame and fear, they isolate us from other people, right? We know that to be true. And they paralyze us from going forward in our lives. But in America, it is a shameful thing to feel shame. So what do we do? Right. And she goes on and and this woman, I've heard other interviews with her, I think, since this point has become a Christian. She has gone back to church and there's a wonderful story. But in there, she says the the difference between people that deal with shame well and people that deal with shame badly, the people that deal with shame well feel like they are worthy of love and acceptance. The people that are paralyzed and isolated by their shame feel like they're unworthy of love and connection. Isn't that what most of us feel like sometimes? Can we be honest at church, right? That we we feel like we're unworthy of connection. So the ultimate answer is going to be found in this passage. But the way that Americans typically deal with shame is by busyness. I'm going to just do as many things as humanly possible so I can outrun my thoughts, right? If I can keep myself busy enough, then I don't have to think about the shame that's going on inside of my heart. The other way that Americans deal with shame is they try to numb themselves. And that could be through activity, that could be through TV, that could be through food, that could be through alcohol. All of those things are coping mechanisms how to deal with shame. But what she says in this talk is... That shame, like when you numb one part of your emotions, right? And that's, this, is the, this is the issue. Like you can't just shut off part of your feelings. Like you become numb to the whole world, right? And so the good news that this passage proclaims to us is that we have a God that will never ever put us to shame. We see the Father taking on the shame of the Son in this passage, the father doesn't shame the son. In this culture, it would, he would have every right to distance himself from the son, to publicly humiliate the son. And it's just this picture where he says, I want to take the best robe and I want to put it on you. That best robe in this passage is the father's robe. He says, here. Instead of you groveling before me and begging before me to be restored, 
here. I'm going to give you the best that I have. And that's a picture of the father covering the, the shame of the son. And the father does this throughout the entire passage. It was a shameful thing for the, the prodigal son to ask for his inheritance. Basically, what he was saying to the father is, I wish you were dead. But instead of turning the son away at that point, he released him. He took shame upon himself. Right? And then we see when the, the prodigal son is making his way home, the father is looking for him. And the father actually does what is unthinkable in that culture. He picks up his robe and he begins to run towards the son because he wants a restored relationship, continuing to shame himself. Not only that, but the love of the father is affectionate. It says he fell on his neck and he kissed him. That's unthinkable in this culture. And I think that what we need more than anything in our culture is to experience the affectionate embrace of the father. We have a lot of people that know a lot of things about God in the abstract, but are emotionally cut off. We all need a fresh encounter with His love and with His grace. So if you're here this morning and you're dealing with the reality of toxic shame, His love makes you lovable. He defines your worth, not a lie from the enemy, not a lie from this culture, not a lie that you have believed in your heart. The picture that is meant to define you is meant to be this picture of the Father that's covering your shame. And ultimately, the way that He does that is by sacrificing His only Son who would embrace the scorn and the shame of the cross for us so that we would know the love and the embrace of God the Father. That's the good news for Christians. And then, I love the way that, that he continues in this passage. After he restores relationship, after he covers the son's shame, what happens? Anybody know? Grace throws a party, right? I mean, if this is really true, we should be the most celebrative people on the planet. If you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, if God has come looking for you in your lostness and your waywardness, if He has restored you to the same position of God's only Son, Jesus Christ, if that's the relationship that you share, if He has taken on Himself all of your shame so that you receive the embrace of God the Father, His affectionate kiss, if that is true, then we should celebrate, right? I mean, that is the good news of the gospel, and that is exactly what they do. Look at verse 24. Grace throws a party for my for this my son was dead and is alive again he is he was lost and is found and they began to celebrate now this is this is where this becomes real this is where this becomes personal this is where this becomes explosively alive for us god's love is more than theology it's more than a definition there is a tone and a tenor to the love of God. Scotty Smith says there is the music and the lyric and the dance of the gospel. 
when you begin to taste this freedom down in your soul, you will begin to celebrate. You will be set free from the shame that clings so closely to you. And you will be able to be set free to enjoy the love of God. That's the reason that Jesus came proclaiming this parable because he saw that there was a whole group of people that were cut off to his love and he wanted to see them set free. And his intention for us this morning is nothing less than us celebrating the grace of God that we have in and through Jesus Christ. Grace and God's love must be celebrated. It must be experienced. It must be personal and it must be real. Like, I want, I want to let you guys know, I, I mean, I know a lot of you are visitors here this morning, but the reason that we sing songs up here is so that we can remind ourselves of what's true because we forget over and over. And as we begin to meditate on those truths, it begins to affect our hearts and then we get to celebrate. We want to be a group of people that celebrate the grace of God. The pressure is off Everything has been paid for in and through Jesus Christ. Robert Capon, in his commentary on the the prodigal son, he said, the fattened calf is another picture of the gospel. The only reason that that calf exists is to bring joy to other people, right? So the father throws a party in light of the fact that the son was lost is now found. The son that was dead has now been made alive. The relationship is restored. If you're here this morning and you've placed your faith in Jesus, that's true of you as well. A couple of months ago, um, I had the privilege of, of going to a conference with my wife. And, and we were talking about the ideas of radical grace. And really, what are the implications for that? And, and we laughed and we began to think about that together. And we were going back to our hotel and just so happens that in our hotel, the speakers of the conference were having a party in the lobby. And so my wife's a lot more mischievous than I am. And she actually had a friend that's from Little Rock. And she said, hey, we should crash that party. And if you know me at all, like I'm not <laughs> a party crasher. And so we're in the hotel and in the next room, all I hear is the, the, the noise of laughter and dancing and music. People that had been proclaiming the message of grace were now experiencing that. Being fully alive. Have you ever felt that? Have you ever been so free that you just want to dance? That's what the Father intends for us. He intends for us to be more free than we are. So we ended up um, crashing this party. Um, And, you know, it was a little awkward for me. I'll be honest with you. Uh, Not awkward because I'm not a good dancer. Because I am a good dancer. Um, But they had techno music playing. And so there were no words. And it was just like, boom, boom. So I finally, you know, I found myself kind of, you know, trying to get loose in there. And finally I did. And and, and you can ask my wife. There's an ongoing, like, challenge that we have to see who's the best dancer but I tell you, the, the, the next several hours that we experienced just having fun, laughing together, enjoying grace together were some of, the, some of our favorite memories, right? Nobody else was around. 
and we were enjoying life because we had tasted and seen that God is good, right? So I believe that that's what God wants to do for us. And then not only does grace throw a party, but it invites other people. And you see from this parable that there's an older son. He hears the music. He hears the dancing, but he refuses to go in. So the father appeals to him. He entreats him to come in. I mean, you should picture the town from Footloose here, right? Not the new one, because I haven't seen that one, but the 1980s version, right? I mean, there's music. There is a time to sing. There is a time to celebrate. There is a time to dance. But what is so concerning, and we're going to look at this next week, is that the older brother refuses to go in. He has everything that the younger son has access to relationship with the father, but he refuses to enjoy what he already has. Jesus is telling this parable to religious people because he loves religious people, right? I wouldn't be in Jonesboro if I didn't think that God loves religious people. He wants religious people to be set free to enjoy the love of God. Not just your knowledge about God, but he wants to personally allow you to come alive to experience his nearness and his grace. He wants you to know that he spared no expense redeeming you. And that redemption is meant to bring you great joy. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your grace. I pray that you would help us as we continue to worship you, to celebrate. I pray that you would aliven us to the message of redemption and your grace. I pray that you would help us to understand and comprehend the height and the depth and the width and the breadth of your love. I pray for those that are experiencing toxic shame, that you would cover them with your righteousness right now, that they wouldn't be distracted by their past or who they think they are, but they would be defined by your love. I pray for all of us that are blinded by our own goodness and unaware of our need, that you would help us to enter into the party and to embrace the love of the Father. Pray that as we continue to celebrate, that our hearts would be full of the love of God. Thank you for the sacrifice of the Son that we now celebrate. In Jesus' name, amen.